0: Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather here, Lord, um, to worship you, to study your word without um, worrying about any consequences from the government or um, we, we've been blessed. Uh, Lord, we, we are a minority in the world that we have this freedom to, to practice our worship of you. And so, Father, we, we don't want to neglect um, this privilege that we have, and so um, we we ask that you would bless our time here today, Lord, as we work through this chapter. It's it's a story that we all know, um, but Father, I pray that it would be fresh to us, and that we would see um, applications to it in our own lives, and how it fits in the whole structure of Daniel, uh, that reveals that you're a God in heaven that's sovereign, that you're in control of everything that's happening. And, and we can trust you um, to unfold your plan uh, according to your will in human history and in our lives. And Father, we look to Christ uh, now. We ask that uh, we would be guided through this passage. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps, "...over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom." Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful. And no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, We will not find any ground of accusation against Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God, then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows: King Darius, live forever! All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects, and all and the satraps, and the high officials and the governors, have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition. To any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days shall be cast in the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is, the injunction. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any God... Or, man, besides you, O king, for thirty days is to be cast into the lion's den. The king replied, the statement is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps making his petitions three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard about this statement, he was deeply distressed And set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. A stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. Then the king arose at dawn at the break of day and went into the house in haste to the lion's den. When he had come near the lion. "'Near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. "'The king spoke and said to Daniel, "'Daniel, servant of the living God, "'has your God, whom you constantly serve, "'been able to deliver you from the lions?' "'Then Daniel spoke to the king, "'O king, live forever. "'My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths "'as they have not harmed me "'inasmuch as I was found innocent before him. "'And also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime." Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. The king gave orders and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and they cast them, their children and their wives into the lion's den and they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all of their bones." It's almost like you want to applause there, you know. Uh, Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who are living in all the land, may your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We ask that you would guide us now, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Okay, so this is one of the the, the most well-known stories in the Bible, like, I, I was not raised in the church, and I knew about Daniel in the lion's den. I, I knew this story. Um, sometimes the stories that we're most familiar with are the stories that are most difficult to to study um, because our mind already fills in all the blanks, and we sort of, we miss what's happening. Um, I've been asking myself this week, like, how does this story fit with the theme of the book? Um, I think we see it by the end. As a reminder, the theme of the book of Daniel is there is a God in heaven and he is sovereign over the nations. He is directing and shaping world history towards his own end. And so we look at that and we look at this story and it seems like this, I mean, this is a great, I mean, this is a great story. I mean, here's a guy uh, who, who really has very little dialogue in this. Um, Daniel sort of has raised to, to the top command or, or near the top yet again under his um, number of kings. And then there's persecution coming after him. They're coming after him. Uh, they, they realize they can't come after him for anything legitimate. And the only thing they can do is to sort of make some law that goes against his, his belief in God because they know he won't bend the knee then. And so we look at the story and by the end, we see the King Darius what he does is he makes this proclamation that sort of reveals the, uh, the theme of Daniel um, in his own words. Um, today's chapter, it ends the narrative of Daniel's life. So if we were to go back to Daniel chapter 1, verse 26, or 21, excuse me, we read there at the end of chapter 1, and Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the King. I know I can hear pages I like. I, people went over there, so now I've got to stop for everybody to get caught up. So you, you see it, you can, you can see it for yourself. Um, in the opening chapter, is Daniel and his guys are sort of introduced at being taken captive, what this is doing is it's showing that these young men of Israel, and Daniel in particular, lived through the the time of captivity, which was 70 years, which was prophesied uh, throughout the Old Testament. And so we're told that Daniel basically thrived during this time of captivity. So when we come to today's chapter, you can go back to today's chapter. At the end of chapter 6, we read in verse 28, So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So this is the Medo-Persian Empire. Daniel still thrived in this empire. At the end of this empire, this is when the Jews were allowed to go back to Jerusalem, which was destroyed in A.D. or B.C. 5... Okay, I've got it all backwards. 586 B.C. (laughs) You can't put the B.C. in the front. So, So that's 70 years of captivity. Eventually, under this king, they were allowed to go back to rebuild their temple. And so Daniel thrived as this kid that was taken captive at like 14, 15, 16, as early as nine. He was separated from his family. His family was likely executed in the war. He had no copies of the scriptures. He had only what was placed in his heart as a young man by his family and the traditions of their culture. And he stayed faithful and true to God throughout this whole time. And at the end of his life in chapter six, we now We're looking at a a Daniel who's now in his mid-80s. This isn't young kid thrown into a lion's den. This is an 80-year-old plus person thrown into this den to be devoured by lions. As a sort of a a, a preview, as we look at some prophecy in the second half of Daniel, which is coming up in a couple weeks, we'll see that each chapter is sort of introduced to during the first year of Belshazzar, which was chapter 5. And so chronologically, the things that happen beyond chapter 6 are actually going to go backwards and sort of uh, play into the, the story of, of how Daniel kind of ties into Revelation. But we're concluding sort of the, the narrative of Daniel's life today. Um, so let's begin. Verse 1. It seemed good to Darius. This is, so we have a little, like a little speed bump in, in historically... Um, this, is a, this is one of those ones that I never know how much to share or get into. Um, if I say nothing, there's going to be the one or two people that ask me the question afterwards. And so, I, so basically, there's not much historically that we know about Darius outside of the Bible, which then leads critics. Because of the prophecy that's led in Daniel, they want to discredit Daniel. And so... Because some of the prophecies so accurate, they say this has to have been added later. After, because you, there's no way Daniel could have prophesied these dreams before these kingdoms came into existence with such clarity and precision. And so this is one Darius. He's not really known. Um, instead of telling you all along the, the, the lot of options, it seems that Darius was a guy that was appointed by Cyrus to... Cyrus or Cyprus, I like got his name right. Uh, Cyrus, I got it right. Um, and so that he probably was appointed him over the region, because this is like the world that, that they were in control of. And so it's likely believed that he was appointed king of this region that, of, of Babylon, where, where they are. And, and so I'll just move on with that. Um, so it seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom that they would be, in charge of the whole kingdom, over them, three commissioners. So he begins to delegate. He says, okay, over this this area of responsibility that I have, I'm going to appoint 120 people to to be in charge of of governing the affairs of of my little spectrum of the nation. And then above those 120 guys, I'm going to appoint three men to basically govern those 120 so then I can sit back and do what kings do, drink wine, eat grapes, and whatever, I don't know, go swimming. What, whatever he wanted to do, he had delegated everything to the level where he was freed up to be a king. And, and there's some wisdom there. So he, he assigns all these guys. Uh, then, in verse 3, we see, um, you know, Daniel's one of these three. Daniel began distinguishing himself amongst the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. So Daniel is thriving. He's doing great. And amongst the three, you get the impression that the other two guys are a little bit jealous of Daniel. They're not happy with him. I'm guessing that they're Medo-Persian. And here's Daniel, who's not only, he's not Babylonian. He's a Jew that the Babylonians had conquered. And yet he seems to keep percolating to the top. And then this guy, like, they from the perspective of these two other guys, it's like, this guy has integrity. He does everything without compromise, without, uh, w- like, we have this power, why don't we sort of use it to our benefit? We could get away with all sorts of stuff, but not with Daniel. And so if you have a guy like Daniel in the midst of this, and what they want to do is to get rid of Daniel so that they can go on living their lives the way that they want to live them. Verse four, Then the commissioners and satraps began... <laughs> trying to find ground of accusation. They began trying to find ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. So here's Daniel. Here's this young man that was taken captive. As a young man, Many the historical evidence supports that Daniel, as a young man, was made a eunuch, which that would bring some, uh, I think that could bring some hostility from a young man that, uh, towards his captives. And yet, even in that circumstance, he continues to thrive with integrity. He, he, under Nebuchadnezzar, he does well. Belshazzar, Belshazzar, well, that was a, a unique story. Belshazzar didn't do so well with Daniel. and And now, under this next empire, Daniel just thrives. He, he shows that he's honoring God and being respectful of the government, this, this evil government that God has placed under him. And it, his, his place of walking up to the line where before he goes to civil disobedience is when it comes to something that's directly related to his faith. But if I can say he's a Sunday school boy with the government up to that point this is integrity that we should be striving for. Um, Whenever you demonstrate integrity and doing the right thing and honoring God in these situations, there's gonna be resistance. There's, There's gonna be problems from the outside and there's also gonna be problems from the inside because we are sinful people. Like just Friday night, I take Grace to the hockey game. We're at the hockey game. She wants a pretzel, so I take her to go get a pretzel. So we're in line, and I get up to the front, and I can see before me, there's a guy who works at the arena who wants to get a snack. Like, apparently, if you're working, you can get snacks, which seems like a great job in retirement. Like, I'm just <laughs> processing retirement, you know, like down the road in 20 years. Like. And so then the guy walks away. Apparently, they're not selling what he's looking for, so he moves on, and I get up there, and I see like, like kind of like a beer-soaked, sloppy, wet $5 bill on the counter. And the guy was gone, so I pick it up, and I hand it to the lady. And I say, this, this isn't mine. This was just right here. And she's like, huh, that's weird. And I'm like, she's like, oh, hold on to it. And I said, OK. And then as I'm doing this, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, rats, that could have been five bucks in my back pocket. Five bucks. I could get, like, you know, bottled water to see, you know. <laughs> but, then I'll make it... but like right within me, like I want to do the right thing. My gut is to do the right thing. I do the right thing. And then even within me, there's like the, oh, man, that would have been easy money. And then I walk 10 feet, I see the guy, I said, hey, there's uh, there was $5 on the counter. He's like, oh, it wasn't mine. And I was like, oh, even more so. <laughs> but then I'm kind of like, here I am with my daughter, and it's a small thing, but I think it's like, okay, praise the Lord that I like, my instinct was to have integrity. And, and Daniel had this kind of integrity and not such silly of an example. Like, he, he was in a place of power. He was in a place where he could do things and get away with it, and, and to justify it. But he didn't. And this ticked off the guys that he, that he was with, because, because of his integrity, it, sort of, it, it acted as sort of, a, you know, the, the being salt in the earth. It was like this preserving factor of sin. Like it's, his presence slowed down their sin. And so they didn't like it. And they know that they can't get him on any sort of charges of corruption or treating King Darius inappropriately, and so in verse 5, they come up with their, their, uh, their, their great plan. The, these men say, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it with regard to the law of his God. So they know if they're going to get him, that he's not going to bend if it deals with religion. If it, if it deals with his praying, we know Daniel's not going to bend. He's not going to give. He's not going to compromise. I keep thinking of, of Pergamum in Revelation, the compromising church that because little compromis- compromises led to big problems. Little compromises in our life lead to big problems. And Daniel didn't have these big problems spiritually. He had all kinds of problems, but he also had a bigger God. And so they come up with their plan. Verse 6, Then these commissioners and all the satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. Now, I keep I, this is one of those places I wish I knew who was there before the king. Like, they sort of make the case, in verse 7, all the commissioners of the kingdom, well, first they say king live forever, so they're buttering him up, because that's what you do to kings. Then they say, all the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the high officials, the governors have consulted together. Everybody's come together. We've all talked about this king, but I don't think that they were all there. I think that there are probably two guys, maybe a few more guys. Like I don't know exactly, we don't exactly know the number, but I don't get the impression that this is the, the 120 satraps that were appointed earlier and the two other guys. Like it seems to be probably the two guys and maybe a couple more that are there telling the king, hey, all of us met. It's unanimous. Well, I doubt Daniel was a part of this conversation. So they're lying to the king and they're buttering him up. And they say that the king should establish, establish a statute and enforce an injunction that everyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast in a lion's den. And I can just see the king sort of sitting upright. He's like, ah, yeah, everybody talked about this, huh? Everybody wants to just pray to me? That's pretty good. Yeah, I like that. This seems, this seems like a really good idea. One thing I've learned as a pastor is that if anybody comes to me and complains about everybody saying this, <laughs> the first question I say is, give me names. Who exactly? Because people have a, there's a way to mask a complaint. And if you just say everybody, it, it's probably just that individual, but they don't have anybody else's support. And this king, because he doesn't take counsel and sort of, he, he quickly, based on, Emotion and feeling sort of makes a decision that's a poor decision. And we could trace this trail down to all sorts of relationships. I mean, this is like the Bible being unequally yoked, allowing uh, feelings and emotions to make you do things that you later regret and have remorse on if you'd only just slowed down and sought some advice and counsel from those that you trusted that, that had biblical insight. Like, clearly Daniel's advancing. Like, the king could have said, well, time out. Where's Daniel? <laughs> You're right. Like, I'd like to talk to Daniel first. Can you guys, can we table this for, like, 24 hours? I'll talk to Daniel, then I'll get back to you. If he'd just done that, this story would not be in the Bible. And so there's a lot of things about, about just getting rolling with the wrong crowd, getting rolling with people that are, like, feeding your ego and, and encouraging you to do things that are just Foolish. And so we, we see one of many people in human history who fall prey to being sort of caught up with, like, that feels good. Yeah, I like, I like it. Let's just go with it. Only to wake up the next morning or a week later or a month later and realize the trouble that they're now in because they made this decision based on not getting good counsel. They um, always think, oh, if I could only go back to the gunner of 16, 17 and have a little talk with him. But I know I wouldn't listen. (laughs) And this king is going to face great remorse. And so he signed the document that is the injunction. And Daniel hears about this, verse 10. Now when Daniel knew the document was signed, Daniel's at a crossroads. And as I ponder this story, this story gets really, really, if we slow down, and and place ourselves in the story and absorb what's at stake in this case. There was a law that was passed that if anyone prays to somebody other than the king, or asks a request of anyone other than the king, they're to be executed for thirty days. How would I respond? <laughs> this gets really convicting. Because I can think of all sorts of ways that I could justify not praying in Jesus' name or to God or to any other thing for 30 days to preserve my life because God's better off if Gunnar's around. At 31 days, how how would our church fare if this edict was passed? How would the church in America fare if suddenly there was some edict that if you're caught praying to anybody other than the king, you're going to be executed? Daniel's an old man. I I could see him saying, I've done so much. I've been through, like I've lost my family. I've been separated from my home. What's 30 days? I can pray in my mind. I don't have to use his name. I could just... Like, I could be looking at all of you and be praying in my heart. Like, there's there's so many ways I could slip out of this one and not get myself killed. But the problem is his compromise starts slow. And Daniel, what's he do? Daniel, when he knew the document was signed, he entered his house, now in his roof chamber, and he had windows towards Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on the, he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying, and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. So I do want to point out that it's not like this edict came down and Daniel suddenly is getting a little, uh, I'll show you, king, I'll show you guys, I'm going to start praying every day three times a day. No, Daniel's been doing this the whole time. These guys knew that Daniel prayed faithfully three times a day. And this is one of those that we could take this chapter and get onto a thing about prayer and posture and all this stuff, but that's not the point of this chapter. Like Daniel had been praying. The, the challenge is, is his God bigger enough to deliver him? And the similarities between this chapter and the fiery furnace are uncanny. It's the same situation. And I can hear the voices of those three guys saying, even if my God doesn't deliver me, I will not bow down. And in a subtle point, I mentioned slightly the critics dealing with King Darius. There's a subtle, uh, huge historical shift in how the guys were executed. Because Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylons, they really liked uh, slow roasting their victims. And, and for, the, for the Medo-Persian empire to do that, that would have been blasphemy because they served the God of fire. And so to use fire to execute their victims would, would, would be blasphemy to them. There, there's no way they would disrespect the God of fire by using it as a means to execute their victims. And so now we see the lion's stand. It's subtle, but this is a seismic shift of the culture, historically, that we know. And so Daniel decides that he's not going to change course. He's seen God move so many times over the course of his life, he's going to hold faithful. And so... The thing, especially as we go into thanksgiving it's it 's fascinating to me. If I was to have a prayer meeting or a prayer time i don 't think my prayers would be the giving of thanks. Like I think i 'd be like lord i 'm praying to you, I want to stay faithful, please spare me, please, please help me to live another day uh, please uh, whatever. But we see three times a day he's praying and he's giving thanks before his God. Lord, thank you that you've placed me in this position to stand firm for you, even if I give you my life. For I know that you're greater. I know that you're in control. I know that this life isn't everything. So thank you for placing me in this position. There's so much here that we can learn from that we could have or should have as followers of Christ, a spirit of thankfulness. I, I think that Thanksgiving is one of those holidays that is the, the most Christian of all of the holidays that we celebrate because Christians are called to give thanks, always, continuously, give thanks. And so here we see Daniel doing this in a situation that doesn't seem to be uh, a situation that would draw out thankfulness, you know? And so he's been doing this previously. Verse 11, these men came by agreement and happened to find find Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. How we knew it. They knew knew he prayed in the morning, the afternoon, and the evening. So they walk up during prayer time. Ah, we got him. And so then they run to the king and they spoke to the king. Verse 12, uh, they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Hey, king, did you not sign an injunction? These guys are so slimy. Like, you know, King, we remember something the other day. Didn't, there's this injunction that you signed. Just re, you know, refresh our minds a little bit. Like, we, we believe that, didn't you sign an injunction that any man that makes a petition to any god besides you, O King, for 30 days is to be cast in the lion's den? The king replied, yeah, the statement's true. According to the law of the Medes and Persians, Persians which may not be revoked. And I see these slippery, like, Eddie Haskells, like... We got really bad news for you, king. Like, we didn't see this coming. But, you know, Daniel, we all like <laughs> Then the answer spoke to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, oh, king. That's so not true. Daniel's in the, the position that he's in because he was very respectful of the king that he worked with integrity, and skill, and he gave his best to the government in honoring God. And yet they're saying that he pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed but keeps making his petition three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard the statement, he was deeply distressed at his folly that he didn't seek any counsel that he allowed these guys to smooth him, to sign a document, to get to, to enter into some relationship that felt good at the time, only to have it bite him. Because he knows who Daniel is. He knows the integrity of this guy. He knows that Daniel like is faithful to him, and that there's. Uh, I mean, what does verse four say? They could find no accusation against Daniel in regards to government affairs, but they could find. Like, like there was no corruption. He was faithful. He was loyal to the king, and the king knew this. But the king recognizes what they have convinced him to do. As soon as I find my place, we'll, we'll continue moving. I, 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 fourteen. Okay, that's I was looking too low. Then as soon as the king heard the statement, he was deeply distressed and he set his mind on delivering Daniel. Even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. He's like, God, his attorney He's like, there's gotta be some case law somewhere. There's gotta be something that I can do. some so, Something. Like in Esther, when they found out about everything, then they, a stronger edict was written so that they could go and kill all the people that tried to harm Jew. Like they, they doubled down and they just made a, a bigger one. There's got to be something. But nothing came. Then the men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Hey, king, the law is the law. We don't like this as much as you don't like this. We're just loyal to the government. The law has spoken. We have to enforce this. <laughs> hurts me more than it hurts you, king, you know, kind of thing. But recognize, O oh, king, it's a law of the Medes and Persians, and no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. And as he's being cast in there, I see this king comforting this Jewish man that he had a tremendous amount of respect for. Remember, this isn't 9-year-old, 13-year-old Daniel. This is 85-year-old Daniel and a young king. And this young king... like. Compared to Daniel, he gets that Daniel was a man of integrity. He gets that none of this is true, but he's been trapped. So he, I like. I wish I could see this. Like, this is Middle Eastern culture. Certainly, they were touching, holding. I, I imagine tears of the king. Your God, who you constantly serve, He will deliver you. This guy's not a Jew. He's not a believer in, in his God, but he is a believer in his God and how he talks to Daniel. And a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring as with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. It's been suggested that Daniel is a type of Christ. Like a, a foreshadowing of the things that would come because this, would happen to Jesus after his death? Put, in, put into a cave, stone came sealed with a signet ring, protected, that he couldn't be busted out now I don't know, but it's like the picture of this foreshadowing of the Messiah is it just it's it's hard not to see it then the king went off to his palace and he spent the night fasting and I think that it's probably alluding that he's he's praying probably breaking the edict that he signed that got Daniel into the same thing because he's not praying to himself he's not asking he's like he's the greater out there. And no entertainment. We'll see at the end. I, like, I don't want to just cut myself off. Like, I believe he's praying to the God of Daniel because he gets it. Then he went to his palace and he spent the night fasting, verse 18, and no entertainment was brought before him because he's the king. He didn't have Netflix. He had like plays every night and that sort of like. So there was no evening entertainment. He was in mourning. He was deeply grieved over this decision. And I would say he's deeply angry, 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 I was trying to mix the words. So he's angry at these men who he trusted to govern on his behalf. And he couldn't sleep, sleep fled from him. Verse 19, then the king arose at dawn at the break of day and went in haste. The lion said, so similar to the story of Jesus. Like Easter's almost here, like this is just like you change the names and the situation. It's like Mary and Mar- like running to the like daybreak when the Sabbath is over. He's running there. What's he going to find? I don't know if you guys have encountered a lion. I've had two scary encounters with a lion. Neither of them were really that scary. But bear with me for this. Well, actually, one was really like at the zoo. like there's the new lion exhibit, and at the nighttime zoo, a couple years ago, the lion was like out and about and it was a female, and she was like, maybe it was not a female, I forget which one. It was like, she's going back and forth and growling, like, you could hear it, like, from a long way away. And I remember walking up, and there's that tiny little net. Like, it's just a net. I mean, it looks like something behind a batter's cage, you know? And, like, people are there kind of like, oh, this is so cool. I'm like, ah, I've seen enough, like, like when animals attack videos, to kind of go, I, I know these engineers claim that this will hold it, but I'm not really going to, I'm like, come on, kids, let's just back up. I mean, it was terrifying. And then I remember when we visited Joe and Esther in, in Africa, we went on one of these little, like, pseudo safaris, and there were two trucks, and we were in the back one. I was with Joe, and Daniel was in the front with Esther, And we're going through this reserve. And Joe's like, hey, look, a lion. And he's like, roll up the window really, really fast. I'm like, yes, sir. Like, I get the window up. And he's like, last week, a lion reached into the car and ripped somebody out and ate the person. And I'm going, oh! And then in the front car, Esther apparently didn't give the same news to Daniel. I see Daniel and John, like, with their head out the window. Here, kitty, 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 kitty. (laughs) I'm like... Should somebody call them? Should somebody do something? They were protected. Probably because they had Daniel with them. <laughs> but like, these aren't like, you know, these aren't like, these, these are terrifying cats. And if you look at the little cat, they're terrifying. Like, put yourself in the mouth. I mean, these things are vicious animals. I don't like cats at all. Like, I like, I like them outside and getting rats and stuff, but we keep our peace, you know. It's like, you have your spot, I have my spot. I, I'm really trying to shut myself down on making fun of cats right now. I can, like, <laughs> where are we? Where? Oh, yeah, he's out there, and he's, like, he's talking to Daniel, asking if he's there. He rose at dawn, verse 19. And he wouldn't haste lions' den when he come near the den to Daniel he cried out with a troubled voice yeah because these aren't like these were fed lions these are lions that were met for devouring their victims and so you don't you, you 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 keep a cat hungry and so the king spoke and said to Daniel Daniel servant of the living god like legitimate question Has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king. I think this is the first time we've heard from Daniel in, in this chapter. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouth of lions' mouths, shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me. And as much as I was found innocent before him, And also towards you, O king, I have committed no crime. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatsoever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. That's a highlightable phrase. He trusted God. And I'd say, based on his buddy's reaction in the fiery furnace, even if he had been devoured that night, he still would have trusted God. And to be in a place where your faith, when you're shattered, and it doesn't necessarily, because God doesn't always like, it's not always the happy ending from a human perspective. Like I know I've shared a number of times, like the very traumatic event for our family was when Titus was born, and Anna had a placental abruption, and she was bleeding out, and we were rushed into the hospital, and the whole thing was surreal to me. It was like a movie. Like like my brain had to learn everything afterwards of what was going on, but as they were like rushing her back to emergency surgery, and I was following, and those double doors slammed in my face, and I tried to go, and they're like, sir, you cannot go back there. And I was left all alone in this like sterile hospital hallway, and it was like, I feel like I've seen this movie before. And w- what's happening? And I remember praying, like God, I, like I trust you. And I remember, like I'm like I don't even know. I mean, like, like I look at my stuff. What was I saying? Because sometimes we say, well, I don't want to pray that prayer because I don't want to be tested in that way. But I remember, like even if I lose them both, God, I still trust you. And then the nurse finally came out and said, your son is fine. You had a son. He's screaming, crying. Everything's okay. And then she left. And she didn't say anything about Anna. You guys have all seen Anna today. She's perfectly fine. <laughs> I was like, praise the Lord. But it's like to be in that moment, like genuinely within your heart, that even if this doesn't work out, like Joe prayed, the Lord gives, the Lord takes. Blessed be his name. And for that to be it's a sweet moment in a life like when you've walked with God to the point where even if he doesn't deliver you, you can still praise him. I'm not saying it's the, I, I, like It's just a, a sweet place and I see this in Daniel's life, but he was delivered. And then the king gave orders like I, like, I mean, this is like, you guys could have applauded, you know, like then the king gave orders and they brought those men that had maliciously accused him. This is why, it doesn't say the 120 satraps. I, I, like, I feel like there's like two, three, four, like a, a handful of guys that conspired against Daniel. And all of these guys could maliciously accuse Daniel and they, they cast their children and their wives. We could pause, and I don't have a lot of time to like make this. Sin just doesn't affect you, right? You can think, oh, this is just a sin between me and God and nobody's going to hurt. No, 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 your sin always affects other people. Your sin always hurts other people. Maybe not as dramatically or obviously as these guys sin, but it always affects other people. And so everybody's, their whole families, everybody's cast in, and they hadn't even reached the, the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all of their bones. These were hungry little kitties. Then I think the key of this whole chapter is verses 25 through 27 we're ending the first section of Daniel. And as the first section of Daniel applies, everything the king says is like the primer to to preparing us for everything that's to come. Dealing with the, 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 the statement, the purpose of Daniel, why Daniel exists. So what does this guy do? Then King Darius, the king, wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language living in all his land, may your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, here is a king, if we think back to Belshazzar who was... he's a foolish man that's better than what I was thinking he was a foolish man and we look at Nebuchadnezzar who slowly learned but eventually got it Darius here in this statement he says I'm making a decree that in my the dominion of my kingdom this is a powerful man this is a guy that had a dominion that God had raised him up and given him authority over this territory he recognizes that But listen to his humility. I make a decree that in the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble, not before me, the king, but before the God of Daniel. That there is a God in heaven and he rules over all and he is sovereign. And I want the people in my kingdom to bow down and worship him. And his kingdom... Think back to remind your memory to chapter two, that terrible dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and a similar dream is gonna be revealed to us through Daniel in a couple weeks. There was that stone that was cut not with human hands and it went to the base of the statue of all the kingdoms and it decimated them and that kingdom grew and grew and grew. He gets it. He says, and his kingdom, that stone, is one which will not be destroyed and his dominion will be destroyed. Will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. He recognizes who Daniel's God is. He recognizes that in his lordship, lowercase l, over his dominion, he recognizes that God has raised him up and God could do whatever he wants with him. And he knows that eventually his little kingdom is going to be brought to an end because there's a real king in heaven who reigns and rules over everything. Bob Fayol, I think that's how you say his name, or Fayol, y'all, y'all, F, y'all. Oh, that sounds really bad. That's not what I meant to say. But that's how you spell it. Like, that's, ugh. I should have. Sorry about that. Let me quote what he says in, uh, let's strike that one from the record. His name is spelled F-Y-A-L-L, just to be clear. In chapters 2 and 3 and 4, Nebuchadnezzar had praised Daniel's God in an increasingly reverent way. In chapter 5, there had been no such praise from Belshazzar, who had already passed the point of no return. Here, Darius virtually encapsulates the theology of the whole book of Daniel in a song of praise which summarizes what God has done in the last chapters and points forward to the theology of history about to be unfolded in the second part of the book. So this is fascinating. It it pushes us forward to where we're going in Daniel, but Daniel's going to go back in time to then tell us about things that are yet to come. And so what do we do with the story? If the theme of Daniel is that there is a God in heaven and he is sovereign over all the nations and he is directing and shaping world history towards his end, what I see in Daniel is a, is a, is a picture of a faithful, uncompromising man who trusts and loves his God that is sovereign regardless of his earthly circumstances. Last week, I, I mentioned that being tossed to and fro, it wasn't from James that I was thinking about. And I, it, over, if you'll go with me, we're going to end over in Ephesians. If you'll go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I love Ephesians so much. And I just want to read Ephesians 14 through 16. But as I read this, I know I'm like, oh, I really want to read the whole chapter. But we don't have time to read the whole chapter. So in Ephesians chapter 4, we've, we've turned the corner in the book of Ephesians. The the first three chapters are all doctrine. The second the second half, four through six, deals with like application from that doctrine. What's the fruit of knowing these things? And as he Paul writes, getting to verses eleven and thirteen, he says that he gave some, namely pastors, for the equipping of the saints, that they could be built up um, through the teaching of the word. Like my role here is to teach in a way that you guys get what God's word says so that you as followers of Christ can then do the work of the ministry, that you can live out the things that God has called you to do. Then we get to verse 14. And I see Daniel in this. As a result of this teaching, as a result of your growing in the knowledge of God, being taught the word of God, following after him faithfully, as a result, we are no longer children tossed Here and there by the waves carried about, by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness of deceitful scheming, that as you grow in the word of God, as you develop your relationship in him, you become stable. You become like Daniel. You want to threaten me, king? That's fine. I know my God, and I'm going to trust him, and he can deliver me from the lion's den, but even if he doesn't, that doesn't mean that he lost As a result, we're no longer children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine and these evil men. Verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by whatever every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual's part, causes growth in the body for the building up of itself in love. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you... Did not learn Christ this way. If indeed you have heard of him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. Oh, see, I gotta stop because I'll just keep reading the whole chapter. Daniel knew his God. My prayer is that you would know Jesus. And if you know Jesus, trust him. He's the coming king. Our our governments will come and go. The United States is not in the Bible. Some people get offended when I say that, but I, it's, I, I hope it's not breaking news to you that, that our government is not anywhere in the Scripture. Like, and I, love, like, I love America. I was a patriot. I served for 12 years. Like, like, but, but America is not center stage of what God is doing. We serve a king that is coming, that is going to do things that seem unbelievable to us from our vantage point but we trust him, we walk by faith. We know that whatever you're going through from little trials to big trials, God is in control and he'll take care of you. We have so much to be thankful for as his children. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for the story of Daniel. It's been fun, these last six chapters of seeing how you used this young man to, to, to his old age. Lord, we, uh, we pray that you would help us to take lessons from him. I think temptations are just as real at, at 16 as they are at 86. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to be filled with your spirit, that we would keep our eyes on you. But as we look about our world, there's so much that that can cause worry and doubt and to shake our faith. Persecution comes. People mock us, believing that God would come to be a man, to die, be raised from the dead. This, this is foolishness to the world that is perishing. And Father, we come to you, and I pray for those that maybe don't know you as Savior, that you would help them to reach the place where by faith they can give you their lives, that they would trust you, Father, for those of us who have placed our faith in you, we ask that you would help us to, to, to really place our faith in our lives in your hands, that we would trust you, that we would see you as a God who is greater than our circumstances, you're greater than the front page of the newspaper, that you're, you're greater than the trials that we all face. Father, I pray that you would help us to experience the supernatural peace that your scriptures tell us that we have in Jesus. We love you, Lord, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.